Hi, everyone. Welcome to Pick Me Up Pod. This is the podcast where we are destigmatizing and demystifying everything and anything menstrual health. I'm here with my wonderful, incredible friend, Liv, aka Web3 Wifey, which is how I initially met her. Um, funny um, 21st century friendship story. I met Liv on Twitter, actually. Well, actually, not directly on Twitter. I think I met you. I think I followed you on Twitter, and then I met you at a meetup that same day. Was it really the same day? Yes, because I remember, I remember we were sitting at a bar, and I had just saw seen your account, and I was like, Web3 Wifey, that's such a good handle. And you had maybe, like, you had just made that account maybe that day, and you had 20 followers, and I followed you. And then I met you later that day. I was like, wait, I've seen you. I just followed you today. And then you grew that account to, like, 1500 people in like two weeks and i was like this girl's a badass oh my gosh i can't believe like yeah wow it's really been a while but like i feel like i've known you my whole life it's just the best kind of friendship so it's the best kind of friendship <laughs> um and Liv and i also bonded over a lot of period stuff specifically hormonal issues which i recently found out i think i probably suffer from a little bit to things like birth control and uh Liv knows a lot of stuff about this i think like from your personal experience and just like research um but yeah thank you so much for hopping on i think the the starting point that i want to touch on is your very first period i ask everyone that hops on here this but where were you what were you doing um and how did you feel during that um experience Oh my goodness. Well, thank you, first of all, for having me on the pod. I'm really excited to be here and excited to just have a nice candid conversation about stuff that people don't usually talk about. So I'm excited. Uh, but with regards to my first ever period, you know, it's funny. I think like the first time I ever got my period, it was a scare. I thought it was my period, but it wasn't. It was just like, or maybe it was, I don't even know. But I remember being in my house in my parents' bathroom and I think it was just me and my dad that were home at the time. And I just remember like using the bathroom and then seeing like, a little bit of blood and I was, I kind of freaked out. I was like, oh my gosh, is it happening? Like, I think I was, I was pretty young. I think I was 11 and a half when I got my first period. Um, and I remember calling my dad and I was like, dad, like, <laughs> I know you might not know how to react in the situation, but I think I just got my period. And he was like, don't, he was the best. Oh my gosh. He was so calm. He was like, don't worry, Liv. It's going to be fine. Like I know our mom keeps her, uh, feminine hygiene products. Like, let me go grab you one. I don't know how to use it, but like, we can look up a video on YouTube or something like figure it out. My mom wasn't home. I think my mom was running errands at the time. And uh, I just wanted to tell her so badly because I was like, I don't know what to do. And he's like, well, can you just tell mom when she comes home? So he helped me, um, like gave me everything I needed. And then I like just put on the pad for the first time on my underwear. And uh, that was it. But there was no like no pain associated with it. No, uh, really nothing besides just seeing a little bit of blood. And I was like, okay, like this, this is it. And then my mom came home and she was like so excited. She's like, you're becoming a woman. Like she got, they threw like a little party, like a little period party. It was really cute. Like I have the best parents ever, but uh, no <laughs> it was really cute. way. You're actually the first person that I have talked to 
in real life and on this pod that has had a period party. It was very small, but it was very cute. And uh, I'm the oldest sibling in my family and like the first girl, obviously. So like this was my parents' first time dealing with something like this. And uh, they were just, they made me feel so comfortable and it was really cute. And I think I had gotten my period a little bit earlier than most girls my age. So it was kind of like just something they weren't expecting to have to deal with that at that age but um yeah and ended up being a great experience <laughs> what was the did you get a cake i can't even remember there was something like they maybe got me like a little present i forget what it was it was so long ago now that i think about it which is crazy but uh yeah it was cute and then my period has just changed so much throughout the years, which I'm sure we'll get into. But uh, yeah, it was a great start to having a period. <laughs> that sounds super, super wholesome. I love the fact that your dad was involved. Um, I think that, I mean, your parents sound incredible, but I think that speaks miles and miles to your dad, that he was so supportive and chill and also knew what to do and what didn't panic and call your mom in first instance. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Um, but you said that you had got it a little bit earlier than some of your peers. Uh, was that something that you talked about with a lot of your friends growing up? I know for my age group or not age group, but in my class, I guess, um, it was like everyone talked about it and like, you didn't want to be the first one to get it. You didn't want to be the last one. And like, if you got your period, you told like two friends, but then it would like get around and like everyone would know. Um, like that's what it was like for me growing up. It was like, it was very much so a rite of passage and it was something that was super exciting. But is that something that was like really discussed in your friend group or in your class growing up? Yeah. I think I had a very similar experience to you. I think it was one of those things where you would tell like a couple of your close friends, but then everybody would find out and you'd get embarrassed when people would find out, especially like the boys finding out in my class. I was like, oh, they don't really need to know that. It's none of their business. But yeah. um, I wasn't the first to get my period. So I think that was helpful too. There was, I think there was a girl who got hers at nine years old, which is very, very young. Mm -hmm. um, and I think she kind of like, she was in my friend group. So she kind of set the tone for making us feel comfortable saying when we did get it. And, I remember it being like a lot bigger of a deal in hindsight. It's like when you're that little, you're like, oh my gosh, like this crazy thing just happened to me. And then now we look back and we're like, oh, it's just something that we go through every month. And <laughs> it's not as like big or grand as we thought it would be when we were 11, 12 years old. But yeah, yeah. Um, I remember I was talking to Sammy actually, and she told me that when she got for her first period, she thought you only got it once in your whole life. Oh my god! Imagine she was like, "Oh wait, I get it again." She was like, <laughs> "You get it every month." <laughs> but I think, yeah, but I think there's so much confusion around um, the first time you get it, and there's people that I've talked to that um, my friend Amanda, who was on the last episode, didn't even know what a period was. Like she didn't, but she had wasn't even expecting it. So there's so many different. I think the tra life trajectory that leads up to you getting your first period has such an impact on your relationship to it. What did sex ed look like for you in school? Or if you didn't have that, like, how did you know that this was something that was going to happen? Is that something your mom talked to you about or maybe even your dad? I think, oh my goodness, I'm trying to remember. So I went to public school for like the first half of my elementary education. And then I moved to a private school. And I think in public school, 
I was there until about, until after sixth grade. And I think we had sex ed in fifth grade, if I remember correctly, but we had like very basic, I want to say period education. It was like a video that the teacher played in class. Um, maybe fourth grade. Gosh, it's so long ago. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm giving inaccurate time, but I think that's when it was. And then when I went to private school, it was an all-girl Catholic school, and the only sex ed that was preached was abstinence. So, like, we didn't really learn much at all. But by that point, I was already I already had my period for like a year or two, so I think I was pretty comfortable um, with with all that information. But my my parents were pretty big, and especially my mom, she was pretty big in teaching me and talking through what to expect. Um, obviously everybody has a different experience with their period and my periods look very different yeah. from my mom's periods, but yeah, that was pretty much the early education that I got. That sounds great. Did you know what products you were wanted to use or were you just, you know, using the things that your mom was, you know, getting for you at the store? I think it was, it's mostly that I think I used, honestly, I don't think I used tampons until I was in high school, maybe, maybe like the later end of high school. I was kind of, I was afraid of them. I was just didn't like the idea of like sticking something They're up. They're scary, in right? Yeah. They're scary. <laughs> I was so scared. And so I think for me, I just used pads most of my, most of my period experimental experience. And then like when it was at the summertime and I wanted to go swimming, I just wouldn't swim on the days that I had my period. And I would just wear like a pad and like, um, whatever like boy shorts surfer shorts whatever you want to call them and just kind of hang out and i was always so mad because i was like i don't want to get the weird tan lines that i would get by wearing shorts instead of <laughs> bikini bottom. <sighs> yeah so i never i think like i finally used a tampon for the first time in high school and then but now even now honestly like i still use pads primarily when i'm on my period i think i'll only wear a tampon if i need to like if i'm wearing leggings and i don't want to wear like underwear where you could see the lines, you know, I'll just wear yeah. like a thong and a tampon. Um, and then obviously when I'm swimming now, I'll wear a tampon too, but yeah, pads primarily hasn't really changed much. Yeah. I think pads are super underrated. Yeah. I, I didn't really, yeah. I never used them when I was younger because I, I don't, I just went straight into using tampons just because that's like what I had at my house. And I was like, that's just what you use and really, really like them. Um, but in the last year or so, I've started using these cotton reusable pads, and I love them. Definitely not sponsored. This would be my dream sponsored. <laughs> Thanks, underwear. Oh, my God. They're so good, but they're just diapers. Oh, really? I need to check. No, I need to. Where does, where, does, where does it go? Where does the liquid go? They're, like, really um, – I got the boy shorts, and yeah. they're really thin, really nice fabric, and I will bleed into them. I'm like, where is this going? Because they're dry. That's a high this technology is a magic trick. Like I'm so intrigued. I'm serious. I'm serious. <laughs> like honestly, order a pair. They're they're like pretty hey. expensive. I think one like one is like maybe like forty bucks, but I only have two pair. If you compare that to the price of buying pads and period products, like every month or every couple months, it's probably cheaper. So, yeah, yeah. tampons are expensive. Tampons in New York City. You know how like in pre-COVID things. I feel in Duane Reed and CVS, we're not locked up. Post-COVID, everything is locked up. Do you have that too? You know, I I don't know because I moved to the city a year ago. So 
like during mm-hmm. COVID, I was in Ohio, still in school, and everything there was just cheaper and accessible and like whatnot. Yeah. So I didn't even. I, I mean, I noticed that they're locked up now, but I I didn't even make that connection. So that's it's interesting. so weird. Yeah, it's so weird. weird. I'm like going. I'm getting tampons and toothpaste. I like have to ring the bell twice for them to come and like unlock it. I'm like, damn. Yeah, it's sad that they have to lock it up because like that it should. Honestly, like I'm not going to go on this rant, but like it should be free because like (laughs) I don't know. They're they're locking it up so people don't steal it, but people should have the right to be able to get it in the first place. But whatever. That's a conversation for another day. (laughs) Yeah, that's like a whole nother topic um, of. Poverty, like not even period poverty, just like accessibility to products mm-hmm. that we literally need to exist in day-to-day life. Um, but okay, cool. So that kind of set the stage for you having your period going into like your early teens, late teens, uh, something that we off the podcast have talked about extensively and both have very difficult have had very difficult experiences around is birth control so at what point between now and when you first got your period did that even come on the horizon of your mind um let's see i didn't start birth control until i was in college it was sophomore year of college i was in a relationship and i was just like trying to be safe and it wasn't necessarily like i actually up until that point i started having really bad periods when i was in high school like towards the end of high school i just started getting like really bad cramps and really long and heavy flow periods so like they would last for eight nine days and it would be like a really heavy flow and the cramps on day one and two were just like debilitating basically and my mom like she just tried to keep me away from medicine like she didn't want me to take uh she's been like anti-birth control honestly my whole life like she just doesn't she didn't like the idea of me getting on it but I was like mom I'm gonna do it anyway like (laughs) whatever but um yeah, so she, and even, like, when I had cramps, she was like, well, don't take too much Motrin, or, like, don't take too much Advil, like, it's not good for your stomach, whatever, um, but it was, it was rough, and so I was like, okay, like, this could be nice to get on birth control, and clear up the cramps, clear up the heavy flow, make my period be less long, like, lengthwise, and then also have that added, like, protection, pregnancy protection as well, which is nice, so I got on the pill first, and that was sophomore year of college, and I think it was the low loestrin B one, the iron one. I was on that one. Yeah. And it's supposed to be like the low dose, like not a lot of estrogen, not a lot of progesterone, whatever. So I took it for a year in total. But about four months in, I was just, it was great. It was like the best thing ever. No cramps, like really, really short periods. Um, and the periods were really light. And then, like, at that four-month mark, I started getting these, like, really weird um, mental health, emotional-related symptoms. So, like, I'd get mood swings. I'd kind of, like, I'd just be really irritable um, around the time that I was supposed to get my period when I was taking the pack. And then I – I'm trying to think what else. Yeah, it was mostly just mood swings. But it was, like, a very unhealthy mood swings. And I'm, like, a very calm – like, so if you know this, I'm, like, I'm not a very reactive – person like I was just I just kind of do my thing and exist and make peace with people in my life but I was like scared of myself because I got so 
angry like for no reason like the the smallest things would make me cry and like i'm not a crier that's not really how i outlet my emotions so it was just weird to find myself starting to cry at like the stupidest things ever and i felt like i kind of feel bad for my ex-boyfriend boyfriend at the time because i definitely put a lot of that uh, emotional instability on him but he was a trooper he's cool um but yeah so just like that four month mark was when i noticed the switch and then i was like okay like what's going on? Like, I, I didn't think it was because of my birth control, to be honest. I thought it was just because of all the stressors in college and like the uncertainty that I was dealing with in life at the time. Um, and I thought that that was just causing me to like, kind of get a little depressed, just like a little irritable. And um, then like I started, I never read the side effects for the pills. Like no one ever really told me what they would, that there were any, they just gave it to me and they were like, this is going to change your life for the better. And I was like, oh, great. Give it to me. But I did not do my research at all. So then I like, I was like, well, maybe it's my birth control that's causing the problem. So I did research and then I saw some other stories of people who kind of experienced the same thing on that pill pack. And then a lot of people were saying, they were like, oh, you know, don't, don't worry. Like sometimes you have to try a few different birth controls to figure out which one is best for you or your body. So then I was like, okay, well, maybe this is just not the right one for me. So I actually ended up stopping birth control cold turkey not really thinking that it was going to resolve the problems but i kid you not within three days after stopping cold turkey i felt like myself again i was back to normal i was not emotional i wasn't irritable it was like night and day it was kind of crazy so that's when i was like oh crap like this is really affecting my hormones and the way that i you know operate on a daily basis like yes it's nice for my flow um, and like lightening it up and whatnot, but I would much rather have my sanity than have to deal with that. Uh, so that was like my first experience with birth control. And I know I was talking for a while, so feel free to like interject. No, I, I'm trying to get better at doing this. And I found that listening back to the other episodes that I've done is I interrupt people because I'm trying to facilitate the conversation when really I just like, I want to be listening. Um, oh but I'm making mental notes. That's interesting. That's also the exact same birth control that was recommended to, recommended to me the second time I tried taking birth control. But I actually, we've talked about this so many times, but this is actually the first time that I'm hearing your um, experience with it. And I think that's really interesting that for you, some of the mood changes happened at that four month mark. I know what was told to me in the experience that I've had is those moods happened in like the first one to two months. And then it was always promised to me that those would regulate, but very similar to you, I was just not myself. I'm usually also a pretty calm person and, you know, I've lived like 27 years in this body. So like, I understand more or less what triggers me. And when I have an outburst, I usually know why. Um, but this just flipped my, or taking birth control really just flipped my reality on its head. And I just like had no, honestly, at some points control over how I felt or over my emotions. And that's really scary for an adult person, especially who thinks that they know themselves. Uh, but that's actually really, really unreal that after three days, you just kind of like fell back as you were normally. It was like an insane snapback too. It wasn't like a gradual weaning off 
like it was like night and day, which is so scary that like your hormones can shift like that. But yeah, like you said, it, you know your body best. Like you've been in it your whole life. You will be in it for your whole life. So you know when things are off. And I think like, but we live in a society where they kind of just tell you when you're on birth control, like, oh, it's normal. Like you're going to experience some side effects or maybe they won't even tell you the side effects to begin with. And then when you experience them, like you said, they'll just kind of write it off and be like, oh, it'll get better. Like, don't worry about it. And then it doesn't get better. And then you're like, is there something wrong with me? Like what's going on? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy how we'll, how we listen to like what the doctors say and we take it like as if it were God's yeah. word <laughs> and like, it's going to fix exactly me. It's going to heal me. It's It's bad because, um, I, you know, like, they don't know your body as well as you do sometimes. So, <laughs> yeah. And I think, like, I mean, I love the fact that there are people that are willing to go through medical school and surgeons and I thank doctors every single day. But I think when it comes to things that are a little bit trickier and perhaps are underfunded in terms of the medical field as a whole, I think sometimes we look to people with a couple of initials behind their name and we take their word as ultimate authority without sometimes doing our own research, without sometimes getting a second opinion if it's maybe something that's not working for us. And I think something that I've learned in the last couple of years is that understanding your body and your home, your hormones and your period plays a huge role in that, whether you're, you know, like a woman or a man, you know, it's just like your hormones, like we're almost just at the mercy of them. And I think one of the biggest disservices that happens to a lot of people with periods that go into the doctor's office is that they're not even treated as, I think, like autonomous beings capable of, you know, making the right decisions for them. It's like a lot of these different kinds of birth control were very much so pushed onto me by my doctors. I was also going in when I first, you know, started having sex and I was like, uh, wanted to be responsible and everyone around me was also getting on birth control. And I, at the time had really bad cystic acne and basically their biggest selling point for this was, Oh, your skin is going to be look great. I'm like, give me all of the packs that you have. <laughs> and <laughs> I think it just like, it's really prolonging this narrative, especially of women going into doctor's offices and not really having full autonomy over their bodies. When I'm being prescribed something that perhaps I have certain family history that makes me more susceptible for, you know, depression or anxiety or mm -hmm. uh, blood clots, which was my case. Those are not necessarily questions that every single nurse practitioner or doctor is going to take the time to ask me when I ask for a birth control prescription. And I think a lot of the issues that you go, you come in with are not necessarily listened to. And I think that's especially, you know, has always been the narrative for women. And I think, you know, we think we live in 2022 or almost 2023 and we think these issues don't exist anymore. You know, you think you go into a doctor and like you're going to get, you know, good care. And like just because you're a woman, like they're going to still listen to you. Um, but I think that narrative is still playing out today. And I think it's just like a lot of a lot of people, I think, are suffering from symptoms of birth control that they don't even know, like you said that are the result of birth control. And then that's not to say, and like, I always want to reiterate this. I think birth control is fucking amazing. Mm -hmm. like, it works yeah. with so many different people. And 
there's so many different methods of birth control that work for different people. But if you're one of those people that it just is not working out for, for whatever kind of chemical makeup your body or your hormones has, then that's not really something that's listened to by doctors. And I think that's something that we've both really bonded over. But my, my question to you that I want to throw back is obviously you had this issue before you got on the birth control, which is the fact that you had really painful periods, like debilitating for two days out of the month. You know, that's Mm -hmm. like, that's a long time. That's like almost a month out of your entire year that you're just not able to like fully live out your life. Did that come back after you went off the birth control? And like, how were you able to like manage that? Yeah, it did come back, which was kind of a bummer. I definitely, that was the plus of the being on the pill that I really appreciated was like reducing the PMS symptoms and like even during the menstrual cycle symptoms. Um, but honestly, like in terms of management, I, I started taking Motrin on the first day. So like I could, you know, sometimes you can feel when you're about to get your period. And so I would take Motrin like on that first cramp that I would feel. And then it would kick in like a few hours later. And then honestly, it would knock out the cramps for the rest of the cycle. So I kind of got into like a routine of taking like two Motrins on the first day when I feel the first cramp. And then I would be like, have a pretty much pain-free period. All that would I all I would have to deal with would be the length of it. And then like the, the heavy flow, like I still had a heavy flow. Um, but honestly, I like got so tired of having, I didn't want to like take Motrin every month. I wanted it to just be like, feel normal. And like, I don't even know what normal was at that point. I was so confused. So I was like, but I still was sexually active and I still wanted some form of birth control. So I think like a year after I stopped the pill, I went back and like talked to my OBGYN and decided that I wanted to try an IUD because I thought that the issue was that when you take the pill, essentially the hormones are like floating around in your bloodstream, like all throughout your body. But with the IUD, the hormones are being localized to just your uterus, which I was like, okay, maybe if the hormones are just there, there wouldn't be blood like flowing through my brain or anywhere in my body that would have like whatever hormone dosage that would impact my mood. And so my doctor was like trying to explain to me, they're like, oh yeah, this should be better for your mental health, whatever. Like you shouldn't have these problems again. And um, I actually come from a, a healthcare background. Like I was a kinesiology pre-med major in college. Like I got a chance to study a lot of this stuff with two, which is cool. Um, but, but I tried the IUD and it was great. You know, like I pretty much had no period on it for the first four months. And then at that four month mark again, that's when I started getting the really bad, like mood swings, symptoms, which ended up being diagnosed as PMDD, which I don't know if You've heard of that before, or if anybody who's listening to the podcast, it stands for premenstrual dysphoria disorder. So basically it's like PMS on steroids. So you have your PMS symptoms, but then you have like really bad mood swings, like depression, anxiety. I had never had, this sounds so bad, like I had never had like true anxiety in my life. Like I had good stress management coping skills until I got on birth control. And then I really felt like I had no control over my anxiety and I would have like panic attacks. And then to, when I had the IUD and I got to the point where I just got like really, really depressed and I would wake up and like everything around me just seemed gray. And it was the scariest feeling ever because I've never experienced that before in my life to the point where I started like thinking about like, Oh, like what is death? Like, like starting to like slip into these like very, very 
vague suicidal related thoughts where I was like, what would happen if like, I just wasn't here anymore. And that's when I knew I was like, okay, this is not me. I've never been like this in my life. I tried to consult friends at the time who were also on IUDs and they're like, oh no, like I never had those experiences. And that just like completely invalidated my feelings. So I thought I was crazy. And I was like dealing with a lot of like, uh, like toxic friendship stuff at the time too, which was like really making my anxiety at an all time high. And it just got to a point where it peaked and I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I feel like I'm going to die like, literally. And so then I, I already had like one bad experience with the IUD. So I was on the, the Kylie I had it in for about six months. And then I like did a little routine check. Cause you're supposed to check your strings. And then it, was falling out. So I had to go and get it like emergency removed because it can tear your cervix and your uterus if like it's not taken out properly. So basically I went, had to get it taken out. They put a new one in right away. And still like it, that was like within the four months. So like I didn't have a period of time where I wasn't exposed to the hormones, which is why like it didn't affect the timeline. But I actually, this is so bad. Like nobody do this, do not take my advice. But I took it out myself the second time, like at the four month mark, because no doctor was going to see me. They were like, no, like you're fine. And this was when I was still in college. And so like our healthcare, whatever, like campus people were not great at all. They were like, you're, you're fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with you. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I actually feel horrible. So I took it out myself. Don't do it. Nobody do it. I still ended up going to the doctor and like told him about it and like had it with me and whatever. But still it was like. Two days later, I felt like myself again. It was like the sky, like I woke up and nothing was gray anymore. Everything was back to normal. And I was like, oh, thank God, like this is so nice. And that's when I decided I'm never gonna be on birth control again. And I haven't been on birth control in three years, I think. So yeah, my periods have like been iffy, like they're fine. The pain is not really there anymore, but that's when I discovered that I have PCOS, which is like a whole nother thing. <laughs> I got a long, a long menstrual cycle story. I can't believe so. you never, we never had that, this conversation that you pulled it out yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Cause oh, my <laughs> God, first of all, I'm so sorry that you went through that. And it sounds like you were, it was a very invalidating time for you. And especially when oh, you're going okay. through all these, like, thoughts you like it's really important that you have a supportive network that is very validating because you yourself think that you're losing your mind especially if you've never had those kinds of thoughts or have fallen into habitual panic attacks I've had something very similar where I'm just like I went from a space of feeling like my mind was a safe place to all of a sudden my mind is no longer a safe space. And that transition through the introduction of hormones that shook up my mental space was this one of the scariest things I've ever experienced. Oh yeah. So absolutely. I'm so sorry you went through that. Oh no, don't be sorry. I'm sorry that you went through it too. I'm like this, it just builds resiliency, which I'm grateful for, I guess. And yeah. but like still it's, it's, oh, uh, God. I, yeah, I have to. Okay. So how did you take it out? Oh my god! In your cervix? Yeah, honestly, it, do- it doesn't. It hurts to get it in, but it doesn't really hurt to get it out. And like when I got it really? in, yeah, I didn't have like honestly. I think the second one was falling out again too, which is why it was easy. For some reason, my body was rejecting this little little contraption. Where about you? I should have. Yeah, I should have literally, like 
metaphorically giving birth to yourself as you were pulling this contraption out. <laughs> That's literally insane. Yeah. Oh, and I like, I've, okay. I have like half of my friends have an, I that have one love it. And half of them have yeah. like the most insane horror stories like you did now, but like I have friends that have like passed out from their IUDs. I have friends that like are love it and are getting their, like have just finished their five year Morena coil and are getting like it put in again. So I'm like, it's just like, everyone is so different and it makes it so hard to figure out what's best for you. And like, we're just kind of like sent out into the world with no information. And it's just like, Hey, like figure it out. And I feel like, yes, like we have like healthcare is not, or like health as a whole is like not in a place where like, it's good enough to where we can just like do like simple blood work or like, and just like, this is the best thing for you. Like, unfortunately, Theranos did not work, but <laughs> oh, I wish it had. You know what I mean? I've had mm. friends that have gotten IUDs put in and taken out and have said, yeah. like, friends that have had children and have said that this is more painful than giving birth. It didn't really hurt oh, that really? much for you? No, I mean, to be honest, I have a high pain tolerance. I still think that if and when I give birth, I will most definitely request an epidural. There's no question about that. But... I really, it just felt like one long cramp. It was more of like pain that stemmed oh, from wow. pressure rather than like mm. actual like cutting pain. So it was like, Got it. it just felt like very uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. And like, it does hurt for a lot of people like tremendously. Um, but yeah, I think for me, because I had really bad cramps, it kind of just felt like one of those. And I was like, oh, mm, yeah. here we go again. <laughs> I but literally yeah. belong in like Weenie Hut Jr. So like, I know, I know. I once watched this, um, I had this phase years ago where I was like, I watched literally every single documentary on Netflix. And one of the documentaries that was really hot at the time was this documentary about, it's like the cost of giving birth in America. And it was like going through how much it costs and like natural births and like how good they are and how when you get an epidural, you don't release like the same hormones that you would if you gave birth naturally. And that's where a lot of postpartum depression comes from. I'm like, yeah, like me, like having like pretty holistic tendencies. I'm like, you know what? That sounds great. And then I'm like talking to my mom about it. Who's given birth to four children. She was like, uh, uh, uh. she's like, shut, shut your ass up. She's like, you have no idea what you're talking about. And I'm like, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to shut the fuck up because I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and like, <laughs> oh, man. but yeah. So yeah, I would, yeah, I would be the kind of person I'm like, no, I'll do it naturally. And then I'm like, no, I'm getting the epidural for sure. Like, for yeah. sure. I know myself. Yeah. <laughs> like, why would you not? Because my mom also, so my mom gave birth to three of us in Germany and they don't really do epidurals there. I also got my wisdom teeth taken out. And the only thing they gave me was like ibuprofen and they did a Ooh. local, they did a local, um, anesthesia, anesthesia. And they didn't put me under and I was like, started shaking and sobbing at the table. And then they like put me under, but it like, the insurance like didn't cover it anyway. Oh my God. Different place. But then she gave birth to my youngest brother here in the U S and they gave her an epidural. And she was like, that was like a party. Like, she's like, I didn't feel anything. I'm like, that sounds great. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure there's a lot of complications associated with every practice of childbirth, but, um, yeah, that pain. Yeah, that's. That's a conversation I'm in no way qualified to even hope. Yeah, that's so badass that you pulled it out. Holy shit. Are yeah, there, like, strings? That. Yeah, there's strings. Okay. You're supposed to, like, check your strings every 
month, whatever, just to make sure yeah. that it's still in place, which is how I actually realized that it was falling out both times. And because um, I felt the plastic bottom of it instead of <sighs> the string. And you're not supposed to feel that. So yeah. I, the second time, though, like when I did pull it out, I felt the plastic bottom. And I was like, oh, this thing's coming out. I'm not going back to the doctor because the first time I went to the doctor, they told me that I was in network and that the procedure would be covered by insurance. I actually was out of network and had to pay all of it out of my pocket. So I was like, I'm not trying to do this again. These people suck. So I was like, I'm taking matters into my own hands. But honestly, I was like very sterile about it. Like I used a glove, yeah. like I washed, did everything what I needed to do. Um, but basically like pulling it out is, is easy because like it has, it looks like a T, but the top part of the T is like really flexible. So like it bends like this when you're pulling it out and then it just basically becomes like an eye shape. So oh I was like, was very slow and careful and not really like, I wasn't in pain. I had so much adrenaline. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm getting this motherfucker out right now. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't feel any pain. And then I just took it out and cleaned it, went to the doctor and like, cause I wasn't letting them take it out. I wasn't trying to pay. Honestly, oh. like to be totally transparent, the emergency removal surgery for the first one, which I don't even know why they call it surgery. It wasn't surgery. I had to pay $2,000 out of my own pocket to get this tiny piece of plastic. Curious? Yes, because they told me that I was in network, but I wasn't in network. And yeah, it was a, it was a disaster. That's so, I was like, so bad. I'm not doing that shit again. And so whatever. But, when you said it was expensive, I was like, it was probably like a thousand. Like that's so expensive. It was two grand. Well, the thing was already it halfway out. Like, I don't know why they, they made me pay so much money for them to go in and just be like, insane love. Oh I know. <clears throat> that, like, that kind of stuff makes me so, like, angry. Like, I'm actually angry hearing that. But, it's, it's yeah, one last thing I, like, this can be an episode in and of itself. And, like, I, like, love talking to you about this stuff, so please come on again. But I just want to briefly touch on... Um, maybe just for a couple of minutes, you figuring out PCOS. And if you could just like, for people that don't know what it is, because it was only until super recently when I suspected that I had it, that I found out what it, what it was. But if you can just like talk about that really quickly. Yeah, totally. So I got like officially diagnosed with PCOS a couple months ago. And I guess I've like had it my for the majority of my periods, which is why my cramps were so bad. But I was kind of just told that it was normal to have cramps. So I didn't really think anything of it. Um, but my mom actually got diagnosed first recently, which is what prompted me to go get a blood test to see if I had it too. So that's actually how you diagnose it. You need to get a blood test and they check for like, they check thyroid, they check testosterone levels, all this stuff. But essentially PCOS, it stands for polycystic ovary syndrome. So every time you get your period, you can often develop little cysts on your ovaries that can either cause a lot of pain or I mean, they're all benign, like there's nothing to worry about with, um, you know, infections and things like that. But oftentimes um, they could get really big. They could rupture, like they could cause other problems. But I don't, I've had ultrasounds, like pelvic ultrasounds done before. And I actually don't get cysts, but I have PCOS, which is also interesting. Like, I think that's something that people should know is like, you can get all the symptoms and not have the cysts, which is my problem. So a lot of the symptoms I experience um, are like male hair growth patterns. So like, I'll get like thicker hair growth along my sideburns, like a little bit around my chin, just hair 
all over my body. Honestly, my whole life, I was told that it's just because I'm Lebanese and Lebanese people tend to be a little bit hairy. Not a problem. I've been dealing with, you know, getting my eyebrows done and my lip wax my whole life. But um, to find out that it was because I have a higher level of testosterone in my body was interesting. It's like, oh, like maybe I can actually do something to decrease how quickly my hair grows or how thick it grows. Um, and then I started developing some hormonal acne, which it's interesting because I've never had acne in my life until two years ago and I'm 24. So I started getting acne like around my chin. And honestly, like I still have scarring like all over my face from it. It's like kills your confidence. It sucks. But uh, I finally went to a dermatologist recently and I started on spironolactone, which I wouldn't say I'm like thrilled to be on it, but because I don't, I'd rather heal it holistically and like naturally, but it has definitely helped. It's a testosterone blocker. So like it has helped with like the hair growth. Like now when my hair grows in, it's a lot thinner. It's like less noticeable. Um, and then another thing with PCOS too, is I have like frequent weight fluctuation, which is very frustrating because like my whole life I've been very active, like very fit. And like some months now I'll like just put on 10 pounds and like not fit into my clothes. And then other months I'll like lose 10 pounds and my clothes still won't fit. So it's like, I have to buy kind of two sizes of everything, which is so annoying. But that also like all of those symptoms, they just kind of snowball into like, uh, I don't know, more criticism of myself. Like if I am gaining weight one month and I'm, I'm like, oh, like I'm not eating well, or like, I'm not going to the gym enough, which is not true. Like I go to the gym five times a week. I'm a weightlifter. I meal prep, I eat really healthy. So I'm like, I have to keep reminding myself that it's not my diet. It's not my activity level. It's literally just my hormones that I can't seem to control. Um, and it doesn't make you feel very glamorous or sexy sometimes, which is kind of frustrating, but you know, we persevere. Um, so yeah, I mean, PCOS comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes, and it's unfortunate that you can only really diagnose it with a blood test. But I think peace of mind is really nice. So like knowing that I have it allows me to make more conscious decisions that would help balance my hormones. So like drinking spearmint tea is supposed to be really good for um, excessive hair growth and like balancing the testosterone horm hormones. So that combination with a combination of taking spironolactone, like I've noticed an improvement. So I'm just going to keep going with it seeing what happens, but I'm hoping that spironolactone, like as a drug doesn't affect my hormones in a way that's similar to birth control. Like I'm hoping that there's no side effects <laughs> at the four month mark. So we shall see. I'm only about a month in, but, um, yeah, PCOS is very common. It's like a lot more common than people think. So I honestly did not even consider the fact that I might have it until I had this conversation with you. And again, I haven't been to get my blood work done. I have an endocrinologist appointment in a couple of months. They take so long to get, especially when you don't have the best insurance in the world. Yeah. But you put me on the spearmint tea. First of all, I love spearmint tea. I have that shit twice a day. <laughs> yeah. But it's just like, again, I'm, I don't know if I have it, but I've also very similar to you. I never had acne until I was like 21. I'm 27 now. Um, I did actually ended up going on Accutane twice for it. It was really, really cystic acne. I did everything else um, and nothing worked except for that. I'm glad I did end up, ended up doing the Accutane, but I think it was caused by, I mean, it's always caused by something underlying. Like it's mm -hmm. not just like, I just don't have like cysts on my face for no reason. But it was also like, I started noticing in line with the acne, I started losing so much hair. Like I was like really having a 
like tons of hair loss. I was like, I, I felt so out of, out of control with my body. Cause I just had no idea what was happening. And really? like also started getting like tons of like, like, like very thick hair, like on my nipples, like everywhere. And I'm just like, I would always make the joke to my friends. Like, Oh, like I gotta go pluck my nipple hairs before we go out. And then I'm like, wait, you don't have tons of nipple hairs. Like I thought it was just normal. And then like, now I'm like, okay, whatever. Like, I didn't think anything of it, but like yeah. those things also with like, like same, like, like pretty, like eating, like relatively healthy working out. But then I'm like, I would like gain like 20 pounds over the course of a year. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know why this is happening. So ever since we had that conversation, I've just like been on a path to like try and figure that out. And I like, like, yeah, no. I think there's so many things that you can do holistically, but at the same time, like getting on something like, I'm going to butcher it, spiro, spirolactone. Spironolactone. Yeah. It's a spironolactone. tough one. It's a you tough one. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like deep on like PCOS and also like thyroid Reddit. And like, I love reading people's like accounts of like taking that. And I know there's something else called metformin, which is also like a oh, yeah. some kind of hormone, hormone regulator. Um, mm-hmm. But I think there's so... And I'm, I'm very similar to you. Like, I don't want to take something forever that I'm like dependent on, but I think there is a lot of value in like leaning on things that are out there medically available to like put you on a path to be living a more hormonally balanced life. So like, I like, I'm excited to hear like whether or not that's working for you. And like, you're such an intuitive person and like, listen to your body so well that I'm sure like like maybe it's awesome and like puts you on that path to more regulation, but maybe like you also don't like it and then you stop taking it. But I think what, regardless of the outcome, like you will know more about your body, like after like you've done a couple of months on it. So I think that's awesome. And I like, can't wait to like also get my like hormones tested. And I know like that's like a very privileged thing to be able to do, to go get like full blood work done. And like, I can only do it because I like have insurance because I like have a job that gives me insurance and all this stuff. But like, like if I went to just get like blood work done, it would probably be like two grand to go see an endocrinologist. And that's like, not, would not even be in the budget. And I have a full-time job. Like it would not even be in the budget. Healthcare is expensive, but I think like if you do have the means to get a test or, just figure out what your health is like currently standing at. It's always, it's a blessing to be able to do that. So I definitely agree. Um, And yeah, it's, it's really crazy. Like I'm obviously we'll keep updated on my progress with spironolactone, but I don't want to take it forever. And I actually can't take it forever because you can't get pregnant on spironolactone. If you get pregnant on spironolactone, it, because it blocks testosterone, you you have the risk of like, I don't even know if this is a word, feminizing the fetus. So oh, it can like lead wow. to a lot of birth complications. So they say that if you're on spironolactone and you want to have a child, you have to get off of it for, I want to say two months. Also disclaimer, none of the stuff I'm saying is medical advice. So don't listen to me, but they say, uh, you have to get off like at least two months before you're planning on becoming pregnant. So you don't risk feminizing the fetus, which to me is like, crazy and I'm nervous and like if I if this really works for me and I get off of it like is all of my acne going to come back like what's going to happen yeah. so I'll keep you updated though we'll see it's it's okay for now they say it doesn't actually kick in for like until you've been using it for about two months and I'm only at the one month mark so 
I guess we'll see. But yeah, it's like, it's tough to find those long-term sustainable, healthy solutions to these types of things because, you know, we live in a society like in Western medicine, it's like everything is like medication, drugs, pharmacy. Like you, you can only get healed if you take a medication, but you don't even know half the, the ingredients that are in the medication or how it could impact like other underlying things that you have going on. So yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's, I think about society often and, and how like we're kind of fed all this information and just kind of forced to take it at face value. Um, and the only other option is talking to other people who share their own experiences, but you're like, this is such an individual experience that it's hard to listen to other people's opinions because you want to apply it to your life, but it might not actually apply. Um, and then you don't want to listen to like, you do want to listen to doctors because obviously they have the education, but like, they're not always, 100% correct either. So a lot of times it leaves you feeling pretty alone, but you're not alone. We're all in this together. <laughs> wow. That was like the best ending to this episode ever. I don't even <laughs> want to follow up with anything, but I really do think that the same way that we view healthcare that was available in, let's say medieval Europe, which was non-existent. I feel like if we do, if humanity does make it for the next 500 years, people will look back at 2022 and be like, I can't believe they were pulling their own IUDs out and didn't know how to balance their hormones. Like that's, that's medieval. Oh. But I hope that through these conversations, people will maybe hear something that's reflected in their own lives and encourage them to go just research and like talk to a different doctor or talk to a doctor in general or have a conversation with their mom, maybe like they have had similar experiences, but thank you so much for coming on. Liv. Oh, I love you so much. <laughs> I love you. This is such a treat. And, um, yeah, I just, it's, it's kind of crazy that this stuff has been talked about in the way that it should be. So I'm really grateful for all of your efforts in destigmatizing all this conversation because like even young girls who have no education or aren't fortunate enough um, like my experience to have both their parents involved. It's like, it's nice to have a place to go to, to get information that, you know, might not be readily accessible. So keep doing your thing, girl. I'm here to support it the whole way. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening guys. And uh, we will be back next week with another guest.